engage with author Richard Shepard as these words are shared from his book, In Enemy Waters. Each generation believes that somehow it is more open-minded than the one just going out. That is more reasonable and more susceptible to settling things fairly. This may sadly be an illusion, and one fears that the human being is still programmed in old formats. Not long ago, I saw two men pummeling each other in the side of the street where each had a car half parked, one forward, one backward, in a single parking space. It was an appalling, violent eruption of humankind's ancient scourge, territoriality. And I walked away with mixed emotions. The irrationality of it all was emphasized by a sign that said, no parking. (laughs) In a world that believes it has radically changed, the scene was most depressingly reassuring. How silly that scene seems, and yet we hear of things like that all the time. And I suspect there have been times when most of us have been so entrenched in our own way of seeing things that we have not been open to seeing them any other way. Perhaps you've been in an argument with your spouse, another family member, or a friend, and then two days later you can't even remember what you were arguing about. It seems so important at the time, and so silly when reflecting back on it, as silly as the no parking sign. Sermons often attempt to move us from our safe, comfortable parking places in life out onto the road of life with all its uncertainties. And today is no exception as we continue on in the fourth in our winter sermon series, Once Upon a Time and Ever After, Exploring Not Safe Stories. Fairy fairy tales have an ability to speak to us of the deeper truths of life in seemingly simple ways. Children's stories often teach and touch the deeper meanings of life, whereas complicated explanations too often confuse things. And so I've chosen to use one this morning as a means to see simply and clearly what God is saying to us and where God might be leading us. Today, I'd like to share with you a marvelous story entitled The Zacks by none other than Dr. Seuss. One day, making tracks in the prairie of Prax, came a north-going Zax and a south-going Zax. And it happened that both of them came to a place where they bumped, there they stood, foot to foot, face to face. Look here now, the north-going Zax said, I say. You're blocking my path. You're right in my way. I'm a north-going Zax, and I always go north. Get out of my way now and let me go forth. Who's in whose way, snapped the south-going Zax. I always go south making south-going tracks. So you're in my way, and I ask you to move, and let me go south in my south-going groove. Then the north-going Zax, 
puffed up his chest with pride. I never, he said, take a step to one side. And I'll prove to you that I won't change my ways if I have to keep standing here 59 days. And I'll prove to you, yelled the south-going Zacks, that I can stand here in the prairie of Prax for 59 years, for I live by a rule that I learned as a boy back in south-going school. Never budge. That's my rule. Never budge in the least. Not an inch to the west, not an inch to the east. I'll stay here not budging, and I can and I will, if it makes you and me and the whole world stand still. Well, of course the world didn't stand still. The world grew. In a couple of years, the new highway came through, and they built it right over those two stubborn zacks and left them there standing, unbudged in their tracks. What a marvelous story warning us of what happens when we get too rigid and set in our ways and how timely in terms of what's going on in our world today. A wise old Chinese saying puts it this way, do not fear going forward slowly, fear only to stand still. So let's turn to our Old Testament lesson for this morning that Cheryl read for us a few minutes ago. Amos, you'll recall, was a layman, a simple herdsman, and a dresser of sycamore trees, not a prophet in the official sense of the word. He was, however, receptive to God's word when it came to him. Amaziah, on the other hand, was a part of the religious established order of his time. He was the priest at Bethel. The problem came when Amos shared the word of God as he had been asked, and it made Amaziah uncomfortable. Amaziah was pretty well set in his ways. And thus it was that he said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is a temple of the kingdom. Now how Amos must have chuckled inside when Amaziah said that, for the word Bethel means God's house. It means God's house, not the house of Jeroboam, who was the king of Israel. Amaziah was like one of our Zach's friends, so entrenched that life was about to pass him by. Now, churches can become well-established and institutionalized, and when a new idea or suggested change comes along, then is often heard the seven most deadly words in the church. We've never done it that way before. The key here is receptivity to what God is trying to tell us. John Robinson, who pastored the early separatists before they came to America and were later known as the Pilgrims, expressed a sentiment that has been a strong part of our heritage in the congregational and United Church of Christ. He said, I profess myself always one of them who still desire to learn something better and further what the good will of God is. 
The disciples were no less receptive. When we recall verse 51 of our lesson from Matthew that Jim read, Jesus asked, Have you understood all this? And they said to him, Yes. Yes. Well, receptivity to God's word for us opens us to risk. To risk. When we are receptive, what is the word we hear? Listen to verses 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven. Well, it's like, it's like a treasure hidden in a field. Man found, he covered it up, and then in his joy he goes and sells everything he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold, sold everything else and bought it. In both cases, the word is risk. Risking to give up our worldly securities for the enjoyment of sharing in God's reigning realities. To risk in faith is to grow in the way of Christ. It was Will Rogers who said, go out on the limb. That's where the fruit is. It seems to me there are essentially four kinds of risks in life. The risk one must accept. The risk one can afford to take. The risk one can't afford to take. And the risk one can't afford not to take. As Christians, the risk we can't afford not to take is following in the way of Jesus Christ. Following Christ is a new way. It's not following Christ the way people did 200 years ago or 2,000 years ago or 20 years ago. To follow Christ now in 2019 will be different for us than it was even just a few years ago. For we believe, as did John Robinson, that the newness of Christ means that there is more to be revealed and that there is more light yet to break forth in our world. And so this leads us to the outgrowth of risk, which is, of course, renewal. Renewal. Philip Vernier has said, The Christian life is a journey. Immobility will weaken you. Do not wait to see clearly to set out. One has to walk toward the light. It is in so walking by faith that we are renewed. And when we look to him who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, even Jesus Christ, we hear him say in verse 52 of our text, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. Here we see the need to hold the new and the old in creative tension. Thus, we have the Old and the New Testament. Jesus never said we should go do away with the old. In fact, he said in chapter 5 of Matthew that not one jot or tittle will be moved, removed from the law until earth and heaven have passed away. But neither is the new merely an improvement on the old. It is something that has never been before. I want to share with you a story that happened to a 
a man in the congregation I grew up in, and he was one of my parents' friends. And as a young boy, I kind of looked up to all my parents' friends. You know, you kind of do that when you're growing up. And, and his name was Bob Boffman. And I'll never, Bob was bald, and he was an older guy, and kind of a, uh, times a curmudgeon, but he had a real sense of humor, too. But anyways, Bob was out at the cemetery in, in Kokomo, where I grew up, visiting the graves of his father, his brother, and his son. And as he was carrying the pots of flowers over to the graves, an old woman appeared and asked him, You got folk out here? And Bob said, Yeah, I got folk out here. She said, How many folk you got out here? And Bob answered, I got my son and my brother and my father. And the old woman said, You got lots of folk out here. And with that, she walked on out into the cemetery and disappeared. Well, Bob didn't think much about their conversation as he was placing the flowers on the graves. And then as he was over at the wash top, standing and washing his hands and cleaning up afterwards, he started thinking about what the old woman had said. You got lots of folk out here. And he found himself starting to get sad. But then it hit him like a thunderbolt. Yes, but, but I got folk at home. I still got folk at home. And as he got in the car and drove back home, He never looked back because that part of his life was now behind him. Even though it was still part of him, he went home not feeling sad but happy because he knew that he had folk at home who needed him. I am convinced that the renewal of Christ was at work in Bob that day. And I'm equally convinced that the renewal of Christ is at work in each of us here today. Writing during the turmoil of the Reformation, Erasmus penned this line, By a carpenter, humankind was made, and only by that same carpenter can humankind be remade. One day, making tracks in the prairie of Prax came a north-going Zax and a south-going Zax. And it happened that both of them came to a place where they bumped. There they stood, foot to foot, face to face. I'll stay here not budging. I can and I will if it makes you and me and the whole world stand still. Well, of course, the world didn't stand still. The world grew. In a couple of years, the new highway came through, and they built it right over those two stubborn zacks and left them there standing, unbudged in their tracks. The risk. The risk of another way. That way which integrates both old and new in the way of Jesus Christ. Susan Schroeder has written a beautiful piece, and it goes like this. Come along with me. Come along with me as a sojourner in faith. Bring along a sense of expectancy, a vision of high hopes, a glimpse of future possibility, a vivid imagination, for God's creation is not done. We are called to pioneer a future yet unnamed as we venture forward. We leave behind our desires for a no-risk life, worldly accumulations certainty. 
Let us travel light in the spirit of faith and expectation toward the God of our hopes and dreams. May we be witnesses to God's future breaking in. Come along with me as sojourners in faith, secure in the knowledge that we never, ever travel alone. Receptivity, risk, and renewal. Receptivity to what God says to us, God's word, opens us to risk in the way of Christ, which leads to renewal in the life of faith. You know, churches seem to live through seven-year cycles. Not always, but it seems to be a common denominator among many churches when they look back at their history. Seven-year cycles. Maybe it has to do with that seven, that number of seven that's always there in the Bible and is a number of wholeness, seven days of creation, etc. And it was just less than seven years ago that Carl Johnson retired from this church. And the church went through some significant changes. There was the interim period for about a year and a half. And then the church went through change and struggle in the early years when I came. And we've come out on the other side with vibrancy and vitality and unity. The next chapter, the next seven years, are very exciting. For we are putting our faith in a future in which God holds. And there will be newness, and yes, there will be change. How can it be elsewise if we are to go and grow in the way of Christ and not be left there standing, unbudged in our tracks? <laughs>